I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 9. As we continue our study, the gospel according to Moses, working our way through the book of Deuteronomy. Today we're looking at the fundamentals of allegiance. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. If you don't have a a Bible of your own, you can turn in the Pew Bible, grab one of the Pew Bibles there and turn to page 141 in the Pew Bible. It's page 141 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we invite you to take that Pew Bible and uh, that's our gift to you. Take that and use that for your own benefit and your spiritual growth. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. You know, when immigrants seek U.S. citizenship, citizenship here in the United States, they are required to pledge allegiance to the United States of America. That's a requirement. Likewise, when we enter into God's kingdom, right, when we become citizens of God's kingdom, God calls us to pledge our allegiance to Him, uh, to Jesus Christ, to God Almighty. We are to pledge our allegiance to God and you remember that allegiance was commandment number one right that's all about allegiance to God you'll have no other gods before me as we talked about earlier on when we started our our our, uh, study through the the ten commandments that's all about allegiance to God pledging our allegiance to Yahweh and Yahweh alone well, today we're moving now. We've, we're moving past the Ten Commandments, the general stipulations of God's law as He is establishing this covenant with Israel. And part of that covenant was the, were the general stipulations, the Ten Commandments. Now we're moving on to the next section of Deuteronomy. And this section goes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 all the way to chapter 26. And the, these, this section of, of Deuteronomy covered the, the uh, specific stipulations of the law. So we had the general stipulations of the Ten Commandments. Now Moses is shifting, moving past the general stipulations to specific stipulations. And what he's doing here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 through Deuteronomy 26 is he is expounding and applying those Ten Commandments to specific stipulations Uh, situations that will occur in the promised land once Israel enters into the promised land so he is applying the law that's what we're going to see as we start walking through these uh, specific stipulations he is going to be applying the law and now we come to that today as we begin to enter into this next uh, section of Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 10 focuses uh, the focus here in these chapters 6 through 10 are the application of that first commandment you'll have no other gods before Yahweh your God right it's all about applying that first commandment now as we look at our text today Deuteronomy 6 1 through 3 serves as a kind of introduction into what Moses is about to do Moses in his mediatory role tells the people of Israel he is about to teach them the Lord's statutes and rules you'll hear that when I read it here in just a moment that they may do them in the promised land so he's going to apply the ten commandments in other words Moses is going to expound these general stipulations and make specific application of the general stipulations to the people of Israel when they enter into the promised land. So the, the first section there is introduction, but then when we get to, to verses 4 through 9 of chapter 6, this section here is the cornerstone of everything else, right? This is the cornerstone uh, of everything else that will follow. 
this stipulation, this commandment, drives everything else. It is found, the foundation of every other commandment in all of the specific stipulations that are to come. And here in these few verses, we, we learn this lesson. Pledge allegiance to the Lord by committing to love the Lord with all your being. Right? Pledge allegiance to the Lord by committing to love the Lord with your entire being, with all of your being. God calls us to complete commitment to Him. When He calls us to salvation, He calls us to commit to Him, to commit our lives to Him. As Christians, we're called to surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. That is com complete commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord. So this text applies to us. Yes, it was given to Israel, but yes, it applies to the church today. So today as we look at, and I'm going to focus in on verses 4 through 9. As we focus in on verses 4 through 9 of chapter 6, we're going to see three fundamentals of our allegiance to God. Three fundamentals of our allegiance to God. By the way, just for your information, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 5 are known to most Jews as the Shema, which is a kind of pledge allegiance to Yahweh, to that those committed Jews, committed Jews, they, they, they repeat this pledge, this, these verses, at least once a day and often multiple times in a day just to reassert their allegiance to Yahweh. So keep that in mind as we study this text today. They see this, committed Jews see this as a pledge of allegiance to Yahweh their God. And today I want us to see this and to learn from it what it means to pledge our complete allegiance to God. I want you to see the extent of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now hear the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land, in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and you and your sons and your sons' sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So that's introduction. Now we get to specifics. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would write it's eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, teach us today what it means to live in complete allegiance to you. Show us what it means to be completely committed to following you, seeking you, 
and proclaiming you in this world. Teach us allegiance, I pray. These things I ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we consider these three fundamentals of our pledge of allegiance to God, first our text reveals the fundamental focus of our allegiance. The fundamental focus of our allegiance is Yahweh alone. It is Yahweh alone. I say Yahweh, I use that term Yahweh, that being the, the, what we know as the proper name of God. We don't know if that's the, the proper pronunciation of that or not, but, but it gets to the point, this is the God of the Bible, the great I Am, the I Am who sent Moses to bring his people up out of, Israel, out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. This is the I Am, Yahweh, who made a covenant with them. This is I Am who sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. This is the God of the Bible, creator, sustainer of all things. Our fundamental focus of allegiance is Yahweh alone. And that's what we see here in this first little verse here, in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this word here, or this little phrase here, this little sentence, only, actually only has one verb in it. And it's that first word, hear. Hear, O Israel, Shema. Israel is how it's pronounced in the, the, the Hebrew. That's why the, the Jews call this the Shema, because it starts with Shema, hear, hear, pay attention, listen to this, get it, right? That one verb, hear, is then followed by four nouns in a row and so we're not used to that in English having four nouns in a row without any verbs in the mix but that's how it is Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad here Israel Yahweh God our God Yahweh our God Eloheinu Yahweh one that, that's how it would read if we were just to lay out the Hebrew and one-for-one one English word. Hear, Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh, one. And so we, we are left to, per, to put in all the verbs that we need to make it make sense in English. And so the ESV translation then, of course, as I've already read that, is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's how the ESV translated. But if you're looking there, and probably not just in the ESV, but probably whatever translation you may have there, there's, there's likely a note that offers you a few other translations. The ESV notes that uh, there are different translations here. It can read, the Lord our God is one Lord. Or, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Or... The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. But which one is it? How should this be read? Well, of course, we have to go to the context to determine what this text is saying, what is, what's being said here. Uh, some people read this as, as a, a proclamation of monotheism simply. right? It's just proclaiming that Yahweh is the one and only God, and it certainly can be read that way. And certainly, there's plenty of other scriptures that back that up. Scripture tells us over and over again that there are no other gods, right? We might make up gods, we might create gods, but in actuality, there are no other gods. There is but one God, and that is Yahweh, who we believe exists in three persons father son and holy spirit but together those three are one god and we could read it that way i don't think that's the main emphasis of this text though because as we we think about the emphasis of the text the emphasis of the text is allegiance to yahweh 
It's allegiance to Yahweh. It's going back and expounding that first commandment. You'll have no other gods before me. And so I think the, the proper way to translate this, and this is my interpretation here, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. It is proclaiming complete allegiance to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. He is our God. There are no others, but we give ourselves completely to Him. Again, remember the first commandment, Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 7, 7, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Hear, O Israel, hear, O church, Yahweh, our God, is God alone. He is our God. He is our only authority, our supreme and ultimate authority, and we will surrender that authority to no one else. He gets our undivided allegiance. Paul reiterates this truth for the church in 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6. For although there may be so-called gods, right? There may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul reiterates this, he, that, that, though there are so many, there are many so-called gods. Yet for us, who have surrendered to Christ, surrendered to our Creator, there is one God and one Lord, God alone, Yahweh alone. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 applies to us here, O church. Yahweh our God Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Yahweh alone. Now, of course, the question to ask here as Christians is how does Jesus relate to Yahweh? If Yahweh alone is our God, and of course, most of us all understand this, uh, the answer to this, but uh, Jesus is Yahweh, right? Jesus is Yahweh. John 8, 57 through 59 so the Jews said to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews proceeded to pick up stones to throw at Jesus and stone him to death. And he slipped away uh, unaware, right? He slipped away out of their midst. But they picked up the stones to throw at him because they understood what Jesus was declaring. Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. He is saying, I am Yahweh. Right? Because all of these people who were asking these questions, they understood the Old Testament Scriptures. They remembered Moses going before the Lord his God and saying, when the people ask, who do I say sent to me? Or who, who do I tell them sent me? And God told them, tell them, I am sent. I, I am sent you. Right? Not the God who was. Not the God who will be, but God, the God who is, I am. He always has been, always will be, always is. He is the great I am. He is eternal God. And it is from that Hebrew verb that, that uh, makes up I am, from which that proper name of God, Yahweh, is derived. <coughs> derived there we go we'll get it out and, and so the the jews understood jesus was saying i am 
Jesus was saying he was Yahweh in the flesh. And so he is. He is the one God, the one God in three persons. He is the second person of the Trinity. So when we pledge our allegiance to Yahweh, we pledge our allegiance to the one God who exists in three persons. We pledge our allegiance to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's who we're called to pledge our allegiance to, to Yahweh alone. We'll have no other gods before us. The focus, the focus, the fundamental focus of our allegiance is Yahweh alone. We are to pledge our complete allegiance to Yahweh. Yet I wonder, I wonder how often our allegiances become divided. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word there is more like the, the word mammon. You cannot serve God and possessions, God and things, material things. Maybe your God is not money. Maybe it's a hobby, a career, a spouse, even a child, or a substance. But know this, you cannot serve two masters. Only one master will rule over you. Whom will you swear your allegiance? Who will, give your, who will you give your allegiance to? To the people and things of this world or to Yahweh alone. The fundamental focus of our allegiance must be to Yahweh alone. Second, the fundamental duty of our allegiance is love. The fundamental duty of our allegiance is love. Now notice, I didn't say the fundamental duty of our, of our allegiance is obedience that's coming, by the way. But the fundamental duty of our allegiance is love. Is love. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse, or Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. You shall love the Lord your God. Yahweh alone is your God. Now you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. Now the love that Moses is talking about here is not sentimentality or infatuation. Right? It's not sentimentality and it's not infatuation. We tend to throw that word love around quite flippantly. We talk about I love dogs, puppy dogs, and popcorn and trucks and theme parks and hey darling i love you too we just throw that word love around and we just attach it to anything and everything but god cares little for sentimentality and infatuation keep your sentiments keep your infatuation god wants commitment he wants deep commitment that's what kind of love God desires. Deuteronomy 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Here Moses sets out three spheres of our existence that should reflect our deep commitment to God. First, you are called to love God with all your heart. With all your heart. Heart signifies here our innermost being. Our innermost being in the Hebrew mindset. When, when they talked about the heart, the heart represented the innermost being, the center, not just of emotions, because that's what we think about when we talk about 
I love you with all my heart, right? We, we, we think about emotions. But in the Hebrew mindset, the, the heart is not just the center of emotions. The heart is the center of emotions and thought of the mind. That's why Jesus, when he quotes this verse in his, his time, in a culture that was more influenced by Greek thought, Jesus actually adds mine in, doesn't he? Mark chapter 12, verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So we need to understand the Hebrew idea of loving the Lord our God with all our heart and includes that innermost being. It's the emotions. We love God with our emotions. So when we sing praises to God, we, we love Him with our emotions, but we also love Him with our minds. With our minds, our thoughts, we conform our thoughts to God. So heart represents your innermost being, your emotions, your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Second, you are called to love the Lord your God with all your soul. With all your soul. Again, for the Hebrew mindset, soul... Uh, the thought of soul uh, included, the, or the soul was considered the, the center of a person's personality. The center of a person's personality. It includes a person's attitudes and desires. Those outward expressions of yourself. That's what was in mind when, when, when they talked about the soul. It included those attitudes and desires. So when you love the Lord your God with all your soul, you conform your attitudes and your desires to God's will. Paul says, tells us like this, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. Right? When, we, when we give our allegiance to Yahweh, we need to crucify the flesh. We, we don't live. We're not driven by fleshly, earthly desires and attitudes. Rather, we conform those attitudes to God's will. We crucify the flesh. We crucify earthly desires. We crucify worldly attitudes. And we conform to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Third, you love the Lord your God with all your strength. With all your strength. Some people take this strength as simply the body, right? You love Him with your innermost being, your outermost being, and your whole body. And certainly it can mean that. But the Hebrew term that's used here is often used to indicate not just your physical body, but all of your resources. All of the resources that are available to you. It includes physical strength, but it also includes economic strength, social strength, all of those types of things. So it's, it's loving the Lord your God with all of your resources, including your physical body, but not limited to that. Every resource that God has put at your disposal, you're to use that to love the Lord your God. I put it like this. Show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll show you who your God is. Show me your calendar and your checkbook and I will show you, I will tell you what, who or what you truly worship. Because what we worship, what we give most allegiance to, what we love most, we're going to spend more time with and we're going to spend more of our money on. If a God only gets an hour of your day on Sunday, but the rest of the week He's not anywhere on your calendar, then your love is not with God. Your allegiance is not with God. 
if God only gets a small little portion of your income, not, not even the 10% that he, he requires, not even that much, but just, just I'll throw a 20 in the plate and that'll be good, then your allegiance is not truly with God. Because we spend our time and our money on the things that we love and the people that we love. God calls us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and strength. He calls us to love Him with our entire being. Such a love calls for complete commitment to God. Love the Lord your God with your entire inner being. All of your outward expressions and all of your resources that God has provided for you. Think about this. Men, you can tell your wives you love them all day long. You can even buy them gifts. But if after you say, dear, I love you, you go out and you flirt with other women, and worse yet, you have an affair, you don't really love your wife. Your words are empty words. Dear Christian, you can say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I love Him. But if you go out those doors and chase the things of this world and give yourself to the things of this world instead of giving yourself to God, your words are meaningless. Love the Lord your God with your complete being. Heart, soul, mind, strength, everything belongs to Him. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. The Lord requires nothing less. He wants your complete commitment. Remember, as you commit yourself to the Lord, Right? That's what the Lord wants. He desires complete commitment, deep commitment to Him. Love the Lord your God with your complete being. Commit yourself, your whole self to Him. After all, He has demonstrated His complete love and commitment to you. Just as Romans 5, 8 says, God shows His love for us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God committed Himself completely to us by sending His Son, His only Son, to die. Commit your complete being to God. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength. So, love the Lord your God with your complete being. The fundamental focus of our allegiance is Yahweh. The fundamental duty of our allegiance is love. And third, the fundamental expression of our allegiance is obedience. Right? It's not the duty of allegiance, but it is the expression of our allegiance. It's obedience. Our allegiance, our love is expressed through obedience to God and to God's Word. Jesus affirms this truth. John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now make sure that you hear that correctly. 
Let's not get it backwards. Jesus doesn't say that if you want my love, keep my commandments. No, that's not what he says. Obedience does not produce love. We can never earn God's love through acts of obedience. God's love is given to us by His free grace. What does Jesus say? He says love produces, it motivates obedience. We obey because we love. We love because God first loved us. Obedience is a result of salvation, not a requirement of salvation. So make sure we get that clear. We need to get that clear, absolutely clear. And once we understand that, the question comes up, then how do we live in obedience? How do we live in obedience to God's will? Well, Moses shows us three ways to start expressing our allegiance through obedience. So, first of all, we internalize God's commandments. We must internalize God's commandments. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and these words, these words, these commandments, God's commandments, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart Remember, heart is the innermost being. We're to internalize God's Word. We're to internalize God's Word. We're to study God's Word, memorize God's Word, read God's Word on a daily basis. We're to hide it in our hearts, right? Psalm 119.11, I have stored up Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. We internalize God's Word. Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're to write God's Word on our hearts. Internalize His commandments. That's the only way we can ever even begin to live in obedience to God's Word. So obedience begins when we internalize God's Word. Second, obedience continues as we teach the next generation. As we teach the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You know, one of the greatest blessings of my life is when God called me to preach and teach His Word. Because I have learned more about God and His Word, His commandments, and preparation of preaching and teaching than anything else. I'm so thankful for that, that opportunity. But let me tell you, parents, grandparents, you're called to be a teacher. You're called to teach your children and your grandchildren God's Word. No, maybe not in a, a, a formal setting like this, but, but you're called to teach nevertheless. Therefore, you've got to learn God's Word. You've got to know God's Word. You've got to know how to apply it to life. And that's what's called for here. You're to teach it to your children when you lie down, when you rise up, when you go here and yonder, when, when you're out and about, about your way. You, you're to teach it. As you're living life, as you're doing life with your children, you're to teach God's Word and how it applies to different situations. You know, in our family, there's been plenty of formal times where we've had formal teaching. We've had formal lessons about God's Word, whether here in the church or at home at the dinner table. We've had those moments. But you know, the best moments, the best times of teaching of discipleship in our home have always been when we're out on a road trip driving down the road and, and topics come up and we start discussing those topics and how God's Word applies to those different situations in life. Or, or just out by, the, by a, a campfire somewhere. We, we build a campfire, buy, invite some friends over, and we just start talking about God and the things of, of God and, and God's Word. And, and we, we used to have... Theology on the porch, and we would have a bunch of people come over, and Gabby was right in there amongst us. 
much younger back then. I was seven, eight, nine, ten, and, and she was right there amongst us, and, and we discussed God's Word. Those are the best times of instruction. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you're walking by the way, wherever life takes you, you're to express God's Word. You're to teach God's Word. You're to think about God's Word and how it applies to every situation in life. So you continue that obedience as you pass that down to the next generation. Third, obedience is achieved when we infuse God's commands into every sphere of our lives. When we infuse God's commandments into every sphere of our lives. Continuing on there, Deuteronomy 6, 8 through 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now notice, Moses here is indicating different spheres of life, different areas of life. First, there's the, the personal sphere of life, your, your personal sphere of life. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, I read on some of this, and, and there's some historical background here, that in ancient times, the Jews actually did this. Like, they had bracelets that they would wear on their arms and they would have a little box on this bracelet and inside that little box would be a, a scroll a tiny scroll rolled up and, and this the shema would be written on that scroll to remind them to remind them to live in obedience to god's word and likewise they had these frontlets they had these little little bands that they would wear around their their head sometimes tucked in a turban and same thing, they would have a little box. There would be a little box with a little tiny scroll uh, in that box to remind them that they, they were to infuse God's commandments, His Word, in their personal life. We, we don't need all of those little trinkets, but we are to be reminded that we're to infuse God's Word, to infuse His commandments into our personal lives. Whatever we do, wherever we go, what, whatever situation we get into, we need to ask that question, well, how does God respond to this? What does God say about this particular situation? God's Word is to command our lives, to direct our lives. So we're to infuse it in our, the, our personal sphere of life. But we're also to infuse it into our home sphere, Right? We're to infuse it in the home. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. Of your house. Again, they would actually put uh, plaques up on the doorposts of their house with the Shema written on them. But that was a reminder that the house, right, is to be commanded by God. It's to be directed by God's Word. So we are to infuse it into the home. It's wonderful to have Scripture hanging up on the wall. But better still is when Scripture is lived out between mama and daddy and the children. God's Word is to be infused into our home. But not only that, it's also to be infused in our public life. It's to be infused in our public life. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. On your gates. That is the public sphere. They would write this on the, the gates of the, the, of the city where all the people coming in and out of, of the city would see God's commandments. That's where they would have uh, legal discussions. That's where court trials would take place. It was in the gates of the city. That's where uh, 
that's where trade would often take place was in the gates of the city. And the people of Israel were called to write God's Word on their gates so that they would understand that God's commandment, His Word, was to command their everyday life, their public life. You know, people today in our culture, in our time here, especially here in America, they say, you Christians, that's fine if you want to be a Christian at home. It's fine if you want to be a Christian at your church. But don't enter the public square with your Christianity. Don't bring it to, to the White House. Don't bring it to Capitol Hill. Leave your Christianity at home. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. God commands us to write His Word on our gates. He calls us to live out our Christianity in the public sphere. And whether you're, you're a preacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a politician, whatever the case may be, you can't leave your Christianity at home. But you bring your Christianity with you wherever you go, whether that's in the schoolhouse or the White House, whatever the case may be. We live out our Christianity in the public square. And we let people know that we are following God. That He commands every sphere of our lives. The way you express your allegiance to God, your love to God, is through obedience to His will. You know, the people of Israel failed. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11-17 through 17 tells us, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? You see, they, they like to praise God in the temple. They went through all the religious motions. And God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat and of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you the trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I can't, I can't bear you come into church and acting all holy and righteous and then going out and living according to the world's standards. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's The way you express your allegiance to God. The way you express your love for God is through obedience to His Word. Pledge allegiance to Yahweh. Pledge your allegiance to the Lord by committing to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, with all of your being. Your allegiance to God must take first priority. You shall have no other gods before me. You must love the Lord your God with all of your being. And the way you express that is through love. 
and love through obedience. Obedience to his word, obedience to his commandments, obedience in every sphere of your life. Oh, dear friend, pledge your allegiance to Yahweh. And that allegiance begins by trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved first. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us so that we might have life in him. So pledge your allegiance to God first and foremost. By trusting in Jesus Christ and declaring Him as Lord of your life. He's already done all the work. All is left for you is to trust in Him. Will you trust in Him today? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you call us to allegiance. And certainly, Lord, we say we will have no other gods before us. We commit ourselves completely and totally to you. Lord, I just want to recognize today that we have many things in this world that try to pull our allegiance. And oftentimes, Lord, we are so tempted. And sometimes we even fail. And we chase after the things of this world. Lord, give us strength. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us strength to overcome the things of this world and commit complete obedience to you. Father, certainly there are those who've never surrendered obedience, never surrendered allegiance to you. Lord, I pray that today that they would turn to you through Jesus Christ. Surrender to Christ. Pledge allegiance to Christ. Give themselves to Christ so that they may know the joy of your salvation. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.